to another episode of Roll or Die. Today we have for you AET Black Belt and coach at uh, Resilience MMA, uh, Jerome Maitland. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Awesome. And you left out self-proclaimed large-head human. And, you know, yeah. it's part of the secret to jiu-jitsu, man. Like, people I know who are good at jiu-jitsu seem to have large heads. What's the... What's the correlation, brother? <laughs> I think it's uh, you. Uh, your body just naturally evolves in a way that you can't get choked anymore. So oh. that's that, that's my theory. So you've got a big head and you can't get your hand around it. Uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's no, my theory anyway. I, that's I disagree. I think the bigger the neck, the easier to choke. You've yeah. got a well, big head, no probably either, got a big neck. So. Oh, no neck. Oh. No. Okay. no. Well, that's, yeah. that's, all right, I think we need to get... We need to get Kim and Jerome in a room and test out Kim's choking theory. <laughs> well, I, I've known um, Jez for years. So going way back to back when I was a white belt and I used to go to AET and train there with them. And you used um, to bash me. Yeah, I did like, not ever bash yeah. him. He was always gently bashing me, always just yeah. using technique, um, which is, a, I guess, a very difficult skill. Um, can you share any insights as a bigger guy, on how you do that? How do you use just technique? Particularly, I mean, you're a black belt now. You've been a black belt for years, so you've got that experience. But can you think back to when you were in your earlier, you know, say white belt, blue belt days? Because um, unfortunately, sometimes you probably outweigh, if you don't mind me saying, a lot of people in the room. Yeah, so it's it's a tricky one. It is. um, I Look, I am very blessed that uh i've had i'm a gentle giant in a a lot of ways um and that's more of a personality thing which i was very lucky that i was able to take that in i've always been um yeah i've actually yeah i was um actually did performing arts so dancing acting singing my whole life prior to jujitsu and blew my knee and thought hey let's just go in a another direction and uh try jujitsu out so um yeah, I've just um, I've, I've just always found that uh, I've I've always enjoyed not using technique, and I and I, I guess I had a not using strength. You mean? Sorry, using, say that again. Just using strength. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, because I think the thing is, you um, one thing I learned very quickly is you you want sparring partners, you know, mm. like you want people to roll with and um you want to learn and i I think one thing i was i I got an amazing instructor in ninos he's my big brother Mm. um and you know i've been lucky that i've actually because we've you know we've been around a long time kim we've actually seen the evolution of jiu-jitsu in australia so we've gone from the very old school if you're a giant guy and uh you just stay on top and you pass guard and you smash like that was the the emphasis and I was very lucky to come into the transition with Ninos who was a guard player I mean you know that like always on his back always playing guard always playing open guard which was very unusual back in 2008 when um when I started so um it was something I always appreciated and you know Ninos as well always been a super strong guy too like insane and uh insanely strong especially his hips and his legs was very light and very agile and just kind of shifted you and made you feel stupid. So I was kind of inspired and wanted to capture a little bit of that um, over time. So as I said, as a white belt, quite an insecure guy, a little bit shy, um, friendly, um, cause I have to be, you know, like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a hard thing, but uh, like I said, I've always wanted to 
have an enjoyable experience and you're enjoying it if both people are enjoying it. So like Kim, we'd have a role in, you know, you, I think you're the size of like from my knee down to my ankle and that's about it. <laughs> Probably in height. But, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's me. You no, know, we always had, you know, always, and you can always, um, one thing I learned is you can learn from everyone. And if you're not going bulldozing using pure strength and, you know, trying to kill your opponent, um, you actually get something out of it. You get a little bit of satisfaction in your ego. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're not going to really progress pretty much past the blue belt, in, in my opinion. So, yeah, that, that's where it sort of stemmed from. So how old were you when you blew out your knee and moved to jiu-jitsu? Because you seem like you're like 25 now. So I don't know. I think my Asian genetics uh, has been very, very good to me as far <laughs> as looking older. But, uh, like, I'm, I started, I blew my knee when I was 19. Um, and it was just basically getting from the ground up and my knee just the, the cartilage just went boom and like in my knee and uh wow i uh, had to take a bit of time off and actually put on a lot of weight i mean you think i'm big now you should have seen me in the beginning um i think i blew out to about 150 kilos like just because i had stopped exercising when i was you know that's what i did my whole life and i was never a skinny guy but i was always like an I'm like Kung Fu Panda in a way, you know what I mean? Kind of <laughs> agile, just kind of bounce around. But uh, I, I had this natural agility, um, which my body didn't agree with. So, and yeah, so I think I was 19 when I first did my knee. I've done it twice since then, but like really nothing too serious, like meniscus tears, which are pretty easy to fix. They're really annoying and you've got to take a little bit of time off. But um, yeah, it was 19 and just literally getting up from a seat. Nothing fancy, nothing cool, not fighting a grizzly bear. Yeah. It was literally just getting up from the ground and jumping up and my, my knee buckled. Wow, man. And tell us how you how you found jiu-jitsu. Was that at AET or yeah, somewhere else? Yeah, uh, I, I, unlike a lot of people's journeys, mine has just been AET. Um, I have taught in other places, but, you know, um, Joseph Tomei, who is Michael Tomei, who's Ninos's first black belt, his older brother, me and him are best friends from high school. Yeah. And I was having a fight with one of the girls at the dance studio um, on this particular day, as you do when you're 19 and you're, you're dumb and you don't think. <laughs> and Joseph just invited me along and said, hey, man, look, maybe just come down and meet Ninos. Uh, he's my coach. Um, get your mind off it. And I said, oh, cool. I mean, can't hurt. Um, went in there, met him super friendly guy um and we just started chatting just talked about life and you know like if you have the privilege of having to sit down with ninos you can have like these two-hour conversations that are just awesome but lead nowhere um <laughs> but yeah he's just a really friendly uh guy and um he got me to roll his cousin who doesn't do jiu-jitsu anymore named john and like john was like 60 if like 60 kilos if and he goes roll my cousin and like at the time I 150 kilos and I said hey man look it's the typical conversation like I'm not a bully I'm not a guy I'm not looking for it I don't have ego like I don't want to fight like I'm like three times the size of this guy and he said no just just roll with him and see what you can do I go all right like I, I'm sorry if I squash you because that's literally the mindset of that and um he tapped me out I think three times in the space of 40 seconds and I just said what the hell? Like, this is ridiculous. I'm getting beaten up by like a, a little tiny person. It makes no sense. And um, I fell in love with it, but uh, I had to, I go, oh, look, I've got to repair my knee. Um, I'll be back in about 10 weeks. Cause that's how long it used to take for the repair. 
Um, and Nino said, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Um, and he even said this in my black belt speech. He didn't think I was coming back. It was one of those those people that come and say they're going to come back and never did. And uh, did my repair, came back 10 weeks later, and I never looked back. And, uh, yeah, eight years. I was lucky to get my black belt in eight years, which was relatively quick at the time. But I think that had more to do with the fact that um, I was very lucky injury-wise. I say my knees, but, like, really it was just uh, – um, like really two, like maybe in a span of the entire eight years, maybe I lost a baby nine weeks of training, which was, I was very lucky. Yeah, very lucky. And that again came back to the rolling technically and not just being brute force and like trying to force things because my body just wouldn't let me. When I'm, when I'm trying to get people into jujitsu, right, one of the common things I bump up against is they'll say, oh, look, I'm not fit enough yet or I'm too overweight. Let me lose some weight first and then I'm going to start, right? So we all know this, this dialogue, right? But as someone who started and also, like, I'm fascinated to know about, like, that 10 weeks, was Ninos potentially correct? Like, did you put yourself at risk by going away to repair your knee? Like, wh- like what, would, what advice would you have given past self you know what i mean if you were in this position now about that whole ordeal and 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 what what advice would you give to others who think that they're too overweight or too unfit to start i think i think the how do i put this i i think for me i had done like performing arts my whole life that was sort of what i knew and um my parents put me in that and you know I, I, it was something i sort of committed to and I, as far as commitment i'm pretty like i'm i'm pretty good at that like but I've got to love something and it was kind of a thing of like there's something here I don't know so I I hate not knowing the answer to something Mm. it's it's one of my fatal flaws so like (laughs) being left on hold waiting for a phone call or something like I'm horrible it's like why aren't you calling me back why aren't you giving me the response and (laughs) I think the thing I do love it's that I was very lucky again AET was a very um inviting friendly family it was very family orientated and i'm very family and i i didn't at all feel like that i was going to be a hindrance or you know i'm going to be this big guy and people aren't going to like me or you know and like i said i'm not a, a big brute either like i'm not a guy that just kind of you know walks in and you know like i said I, I'm, I'm pretty like you know i'm a pretty sensitive guy you know like uh you know and like i said pretty gentle but I, I think what I would say to people is like, it's just an opportunity uh, to learn something that is um, quite individual, but also very um, community-based. Like my, my experience is going to be very different to someone else. And um, if you're surrounded by the right people and right people in the gyms, and look, I have been out there to some gyms and like, you know, that aren't very friendly and, I can imagine someone walking into that and not going there. And you know what? That's the right decision. You know, yeah. you need to yeah. you need to find something that suits you. And mm. maybe the family gym isn't your thing. And there is nothing wrong with that. I think that's perfectly fine. If you're a competitive, driven, like I'm going to smash the world. I think that's awesome. I yeah. think that's such a great quality to have. I'm envious of that because I'm quite satisfied with, you know, a double quarter pounder after a training. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm quite happy with that. <laughs> All about health uh, here, yeah. <laughs> speaking of that family, how did your family take your transition then from performing arts to martial arts? Oh, my parents, not well. Uh, not well at all because 
not because they they didn't think I could accomplish or anything. They never wanted me to get hurt because they saw it as, you know, this is, you know, martial arts. You know, you hit each other and, you know, you, you bash each other, you get head injuries, you get things, which is ironic because for me, BJJ is not that at all. It, it it's, uh, um, it's all, it's about control and like controlling a situation. And I ran the kids program at AET for a long time with Buffy who, um, I mean, Kim, you know, Buff, Buff, uh, yeah. she's my little sister. I could bash her all the time cause I love her so much, but, uh, yeah, we got our black belts together and that was a pretty special moment. Um, you know, you yeah. trained my kids for a period for a little yeah. while too. That's when we really yeah. got to know each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And, and, and the great, and the great thing is, is like I, I, one thing I taught with kids was, you know, that you teach them control. I think the big thing is like a lot of bullies don't have control in their lives. Yeah. And I don't judge, like, it's not a judgment thing. It's like, they're trying to find power and they're trying to find something that they don't have. And it's, it's sad. It's, it's, I'm not excusing bullying at all. Like I was, I wasn't bullied too badly, but of course everyone has gone through some sort of bullying but a lot of my kids that came in, um, some of them were bullies and some of them weren't. They were getting bullied. And, like, they created their own little community because, again, it's what you teach them. It's like, you know, stand up for yourself, but at the same time, don't look for the fight. And, like, I had a couple – I had – oh, it was so – like, I've had issues – not issues with parents, but they would tell me the school would contact them. Um, there was one, one of the kids uh, who was tiny. He was, like – 30 kilos little tiny little thing like he was like two grades smaller than everyone else and he had a bully and he took the bully down and he wrote him and yelled at him and said stop leave me alone and then he got in trouble and I said to the parents so what was the scenario well this kid was bullying him and eventually he grabbed him and then what he did was he threw him to the ground it didn't hit him Nerode controlled the position and asked him to stop. And I don't know what's a better example of like maturity in a kid that's what maybe seven, eight years old, stopping that scenario and showing that this can go bad, but I don't want to go there. Mm. And and it was such a and I and I said to the parent, I said, and this might make me a bad person, but I just said, I think that's a great result. And whether mm-hmm. the principal likes it or not, like principals are in a very, like, and teachers are in a very tough position on, on like controlling those scenarios. Like how do you discipline, but not discipline? Like it's a very hard thing. And like, I'm not saying it's okay. And I wouldn't encourage people to fight or anything like that, but that was a, that was a good example of like control discipline and like, and not taking it too far, which a lot of people don't get. And they just swing for the fences. Like it's rock'em sock'em robots hit yeah. their head on the concrete and they're done for life. You know, yeah. it's, I don't like that. Yeah. What about, what about with bullies? Like, like how have you, bullies who come into the program, how have you seen them shift um, in their views of life? Incredibly well. In the sense of that they're getting disciplined, but it's not discipline as in a put down or a under the thumb or a negative or, you know, punching down. It's a, uh, you're showing them away. Um, there was a, uh, like, I don't run the kids programming. Well, I haven't for a long time, but it was a very important part of my life. Um, but these kids learned that, you know, there's reward for being a good person and not just reward because I, I did one plus one and it equals two. It was, well, this actually feels good to do a good thing and like work with friends. 
And ironically, another story without too much detail, one of the bullies defended one of the kids in the same school from the gym from being bullied by someone else. And then he completely changed his aspect. You know, it's, I think we've got a really great um, bunch of instructors in Australia. As uh, Sorry, I should even say specifically Victoria. Like I really like the the kids programs that have been run from like uh, you got G and um, you know in G Force. Yep. Um, yeah. You know. Incan, you got, dominance. Oh my god. Yeah, man. Oh, Dave Hart <laughs> runs an awesome program. The Debeam program all over the place is fantastic. Yep. Um, you got in, in, um, my old friend. We used to fight. Uh, gone blank on his bloody name. He's in um, Burwood. There's DC out in Rob Singh. Rob Singh. 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 Awesome. These are all people Kingsbury. we've had on the podcast yeah. already, to be yeah. honest. So yeah, yeah. We're, well, we're, uh, these are fantastic, yeah. fantastic people, and they. It's just, but these the people running it are they, they're caring people. This is important. Like I think it's the most important aspect of jujitsu. Um, and then a gold medal. Um, I think guidance and you know an example is something super super important when it comes to being an instructor and a mentor. You know it's yeah. Well, I guess I guess before we go on, like I just want to acknowledge each and every person who's doing a huge program wherever you are in the world. Or, you know, uh, and, and whether or not we've mentioned you because yeah, it is an amazing contribution to kids and their lives and the schools. And, you know, they'll go on to be adults and hopefully teach great, you know, people great boundaries and great ways to be fit and great ways to end an altercation without punching. So, yeah, each and every one is acknowledged as far as this show is concerned. And thank you very much. Absolutely. And knee rides are legal in a jiu-jitsu class. So if the kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Have you- have you got any advice for anyone listening that maybe perhaps starting up a kids program or um, looking to do it as to how to run it? Because from my point of view, when I look, and I mean, I have kids of my own, but it just looks like chaos. And the idea of coaching kids scares the pants off me. Like there's no way I, I would want to do it. Um, but yeah, any advice you could give? I, I think one thing I learned probably took about six months with both like you know we ran tried running the class like it's an adult class treat them like an adult treat them with respect and it just doesn't work <laughs> and i think you've got to establish a routine um i think your warm-up should be identical over and over so have it written down have a program written out and actually dedicate a lot of time to very very basic things um I don't know much about the Gracie Proof program because I haven't been I haven't been affiliated with um, that stuff. And mm. look, I've, 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 like I said, I'd look into it, but I found the big thing is is routine. And ironically, I've applied routine now to the adults. So I learned teaching because I taught adults, then went to kids, and then changed my way of teaching for kids, and then kind of applied that to adults. Yeah, treat my my students, my browns, and you know my blacks and purples like kids, you know. Because I can. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a question. So, like about the, the the weight that you were when you started, with hindsight, like what is a good way if someone is overweight to actually like let's say they are starting, they're interested, they found the right club. Is there is there a kind of a like how did you what was the journey like for you to kind of get your weight under control, get your fitness under control? Look. Definitely, like, definitely my weight is not under control. I'm not a little person. You will definitely see me at a competition um, plopping around. Um, I've definitely <laughs> fluctuated. Like, yeah, I've definitely uh, fluctuated up and down in weight over the years. I think the big thing is, is motivation. You need right. to find something that you love 
And then when you find limitations on the thing that you love, then you've got to find ways of eliminating those limitations. So for me, I love jiu-jitsu. I was very, very agile, very athletic for a, a big man. I wouldn't say the most talented jiu-jitsu guy, um, but I definitely had a knack for it, um, just an understanding. And I was very agile and I could get away with things. So like I said, like, you know, Kim said I was play rolling a lot and like not to demean my opponent anyway, but like, just that flow role, which I love. And even to this day, I'm a big culprit of it. I used to drive Ninos insane in competition because I'd be down like 15, 16 points and then I'd pull a sub out. Like that was my style. Like, wow. you know, <laughs> flow roll and yeah, I'd be worse. I'm either losing by 20 points or yeah. I'm getting the submission. Wow. And it was, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's frustrating. So just, yeah, I'm insane. Do you think that um, comes from, sorry to interrupt, like maybe accepting bad positions during training and stuff so that it doesn't it's not as urgent for you to dominate i think the what's the best way of putting this i'm not a very good competition roller okay so i have won many competitions and over time and you know thanks to awesome training from my coach and stuff but i i I prefer to roll for like a, a goal a victory you know i love fighting in bad spots i'm a you know, i'm a sadist so to speak you know what i mean um i was i've i've developed what we call like i used to play in turtle guard a lot i don't know kim if you remember that and i was quite famous like in jiu-jitsu competitions kind of oh there goes the turtle guy just kind of turtling up and looking for the sweeps getting no points for it but getting in the top position um i love fighting in bad positions because they're the positions you're going to be in, in like and I'm very comfortable in bad spots. Now, applying that in a competition is not very smart, especially at the black belt level, where I would definitely lose because my opponents are fantastic grapplers and they're also very smart and they're not going to take baits. So I had to, <laughs> yeah, it's just a reality. Like, you know, like a lot of my students go, I know exactly what you're doing. And I go, yeah, you're putting your arm in the exact spot I want you to put it. Like, you know what I mean? And um, I, I, I like, I think, You've got to take that. I think that as a sparring partner or like training partner is awesome because you shouldn't have an ego. You should be ready to tap at any point. Like um, it's something that I, I strive with my students. I want you to be comfortable in the worst spot, but don't be like me and put yourself in the worst spot in competition when you're going to be down and chasing points. So, and like I said, I've never played points. It's never been my style. Um, it's never been, uh, I don't, I, I like the sub. And if I fall on my shield, uh, you know, or fall on my sword, I should say, it is what it is. And I'm okay with that. Like, um, you know, I, I've competed for the first time at ADCC Trials not too long ago, I think a couple of weeks ago. And I, I actually was on a hiatus for about four and a half years because I was just sort of burnt out, but uh, had a lot of fun. That's it right. was uh, interesting getting back into it. I can Has really it, uh, reignited your passion. Do you think you'll come back, compete? much more or not so sure i don't know i i i lost my hunger um because i was so burnt out and like you know like training for the getting my black belt fairly quickly meant that i was on the mats a lot i was competing a lot and i went through a stint where i was competing so much i stopped developing jujitsu um and all i was doing was kimuras because i had to do that because i was a really good kimura guy I, I, i if i got my hammer lock on most people, like 99.9% of people, I was the fight was over, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and I just, yeah, you kind of just sharpening iron the whole time. I was very sharp with that one technique, but it was very, very boring. And I 
I kind of had to step away for a bit, um, figure myself out. I had, you know, you've got personal things that happen in your life and then COVID hit and, you know, and, you know, and like, you know, we're all back on track, but like, I can't blame COVID for uh, stopping my competitions. I stopped well and truly before uh, COVID kicked in. So, but um, reignited my passion when I took over um, after Gustavo, because Gustavo was running Resilience and then he was um, running his own program, which was awesome. And I took over from him and uh, really fell in love with my guys. And um, yeah, I just fell in love with teaching again and just learning and uh, being able to control that culture that I got from Ninos at AET is it's just been fantastic. I've, I'm very blessed. I, I love going there. You know, I, I quit my job to just teach jujitsu, took a massive financial hit <laughs> as you do, but I'm very happy, you know, not happy financially, but very happy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great. Thanks for being so authentic. That is amazing. I really relate to everything that's just happened in the last few minutes. Like Kim saying, do you think it's because you accept the position? Yeah. Cause I can relate. I get myself in bad positions. I accept them. The thing is what I've learned lately is to the takeaway for me has been as soon as I'm in a bad position, start to work, like get a post, start to get out, you know, make small micro adjustments. And that's kind of saving me from becoming you ultimately as a black belt. But the other thing is guillotines are my thing as well. And I do them over and over and over again. And I've neglected so many other areas of my game. So you guys, you guys are completely recreating my world here. And uh, yeah. (laughs) Anton, like- I, I think if you want to guillotine me, it'd be like wrapping your hands around a washing basket and trying to get your fingers <laughs> close together. Yeah, <laughs> like that—that's the way it's gonna. Yeah, Sorry, I, I think now with that being said, now this might—I don't know if this is—I wouldn't say it's controversial, but it's kind of a weird opinion. I—I I really think the next stage in jujitsu is going to be these bad positions. I mean, you're seeing it with—I uh, was used to do a lot of stuff under side control, what I'd like to call Homer Simpson guard. So a lot of it's the, uh, you know, how he runs around on his side. Yeah. Like that's, I have a whole, like uh, with my guys, I have a whole range of moves from that position, which I use and I'll use on black belts and play from these bad spots. And that's where, again, I don't like, I feel like points can sometimes put limitations on how you can evolve your jujitsu. Yes. You you think now big, the big move at the moment, which it's kind of phasing out, but was the buggy choke. Now that's underneath side control. Now you're never going to see me do a buggy choke because my knee will be the fourth operation. But <laughs> like it's, it's, there's an evolution now where I was doing dash chokes years ago and from underneath side control, like the, the ghost, I think Turf Planet called it. And I'm not taking credit for the move, but I was doing that a long time ago. And now you got guys like the Rotello brothers that are mo- using all these, they're working in bad positions and finding submissions guys are getting their backs taken and they're finding leg locks you know mm. you're getting up turtle turtles a bad position but you're finding this there's moves to do in these positions which is great and then the next stage after that would be well how do i counter these attacks and that's just awesome jujitsu mm. i just think the next stage is being in bad spots which you're seeing a lot like uh, a lot of guys are playing in really bad situations and then finding counters in that position which mm. I think it's awesome. It's yeah. and again, I don't know how it'll reflect in um, competition that's really based on scoring, um, but like something like an ADC style match where it's like half the match is no points, it might be exciting. EBI, very mm. exciting to play in these bad spots. Like I'll lay on my side a lot, my like and like tell my students come into side control, mm. and they're like really giving side control, and they just know it. it's like there's a whole world there that 
is dangerous, but isn't danger fun? Like, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, so, so, the poison side control. I like it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I hope you're right. Because as a fellow jiu-jitsu who also probably accepts bad positions, I look forward to, if you're correct, dominating in the future if that is what's going to happen with jiu-jitsu. If we see it, Kim, I'll remind you of this video and uh, yeah. I'll be like, remember we had this conversation? <laughs> yeah, remember when? Yeah, you were ahead of your time. Um, and just touching back on, um, we've we're only got about seven minutes left, but you've mentioned several times through this conversation about Ninos. Can you tell us a little bit more about the culture of AET? Like, Because I guess... We've had a couple of other um, students from there on here, and they've talked about yeah. it. But yeah, just tell us your your thoughts on that. I was kind of I was kind of lucky when I came into it. There was the second gym, so that he was kind of established because they were working out of a a, a church hall initially. So um, oh, that was before my time. And when I come in, like I think there was, and I'm not exaggerating, I think there was 30 guys, like where it's now it's blown out. Like if you, you count all the affiliations, and that's like 2000 people, like it's insane. You know, that's a big growth in the span of, I mean, really a, when I was 20, I'm 34 now, 14 years. Like that's a pretty big growth. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that it was really family values that, um, that a lot of people are drawn to, which some people love because that's what they have. And some people love because they didn't have that, you know, and um, I, 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 me straight away, you know, me and Anos clicked and we've definitely butted heads because I'm a pain in the butt, you know what I mean? Like definitely a, a painful student, even though I pride myself in being a good teacher, but that's always the way, isn't it? Like what you strive to be, you normally are counterintuitive do as I say, don't do as I do. But the culture there is just, it's awesome. It, it's family. I, I, I can't, I can't put it any other way. Um, Ninos is my big brother. Um, you know, he's an amazing teacher, but more than that, like, you know, I gave me purpose. Like, you know, I, I think people try to look for purpose and maybe jujitsu isn't your purpose, but there's no reason why you can't do it. But I, I mean, I love it. I love teaching and I was inspired by, the culture and how Ninos approached it. And, you know, I try, I try to apply that probably not as well, but man, I, I definitely aspire to that, you know? And how, how would you rate, how would not rate, like not compare in good, bad, better, worse, but now you're teaching at resilience as well. So what's the difference in the cultures between the two gyms? Like if I'm a newbie and I'm going, Oh, I could get to both of those gyms. What would I expect at resilience? You would get, open-mindedness now like i think i've come in and because uh resilience is an mma based gym um mm-hmm. guys are very sharp and iron and i think that's of course when you're getting ready for a fight and that culture has gone in i mean dan kelly is he's super tough yeah. he's a pain yeah. but i love him you know like <laughs> great, great um and like we've got guys there like um cal potter who also teaches bjj there we've got um sam haywood who's an amazing mma coach uh i feel like he's going to be the next honestly the next big thing coach wise Ben, you know we've got ben sasoli awesome stroke we've got this uh culture of guys that have come in and like i've come in i'm kind of like you know you got these tough 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 and then you got me that's kind of let's hug like you know like that's uh <laughs> i'll accept your uh, position. yeah I, I just i want i think what i wanted is like being a big guy too, even though like I'm friendly and i was i was looked after by the right people and stuff you still had that stigma of being a big guy and that I'm worried that this person's going to hurt me. And I've, I just, 
straight away. Like, you know, we had a few tough, and I, like I said, it's, I'm not against it, but we had a few really tough MMA kids that are really, I, I've, I've told them that you can't be 24 seven. Boom, 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 boom. It, 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 you're not going to last. You're going to have a, 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 maybe a luckier span of 10 years mm-hmm. and that's it. And I just said, you need to learn. You need to be a bit, you know, a bit more technical base. And I think you just need to, I, I encourage more of a team aspect there. So if you're coming in, you're my, my higher belts, I've trained them to teach, you know, in the class. So like, as an example, like we'll break up and we'll do technique and I'll make sure that I've got a color belt in every group. And then it's right. their responsibility right. to teach as well, you know? So um, yeah, if you come into AET, you're going to have a great time. You come into resilience, you're going to have a great time. I've got really bad jokes and Ninos has worse jokes than me. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> We are nearly out of time. Thank you so much for all your patience in uh, setting this one up. I know it took a little bit of time to get us all together. And um, do you have any final words, any parting? parting I just uh, thank you for the opportunity. Um, I have to say you guys have the most aggressive theme song for a jiu-jitsu-based podcast, (laughs) which I wasn't expecting. The the funniest part about that is that's Kim singing. You know, she's pretty amazing. (laughs) You know, that doesn't surprise me. Dean like, Burgess, Dean Burgess. <laughs> um, other pretty, than that, I just, lies, think, yeah, <laughs> I, I just think, look, if you want to say, um, uh, don't let your um, your flag or your, your your gym logo be the only family. Um, Kim, we're all from different gyms. We've come from different places and we have a really amazing community um, when it wants to be, you know, and we've survived COVID as a community, which was really hard. We're like one of the last ones though things. So if you're looking at a, if you're looking to find some community, um, any gym, I'm not going to say mine. I'm not going to say yours. I'm just going to say there's a really strong, beautiful community that survived uh, a, a pretty hard, hard two years. And that just shows strength and unity. So get out there, try oh, jujitsu. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Got to get out there, get under side control and do the Homer Simpson guard. That is going to be the next thing. All right. <laughs> you heard it here first, people. You're a legend. Thank man. you so much. For Thank this. you so much for the opportunity, guys. You're welcome. Really Anytime. We'll have this out in a couple of weeks. If you could share it with your networks as well, that would be really amazing for us. And, yeah. uh, Look forward to seeing you on the mats or at the competition soon. Absolutely. Take care, guys. Thanks again. Okay. See ya. Bye. 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 Bye.